This past Monday, January the 15th, was recognised as the most miserable day of the most miserable week, of the most miserable month of the year. So be encouraged, friends, because as far as 2018 is concerned, things can only get better. Known as Blue Monday, the day possesses a quite uniquely depressing set of factors and circumstances which conspire to induce widespread misery and hopelessness amongst the unwary. It's also a powerful reminder of how quickly the superficial joy of our festivities can fade, that all of this communal misery comes just three weeks after the hype and hysteria of the most anticipated and expensive day of annual celebration. UK households spent approximately £5 billion on Christmas food and drink in 2017, plus another £20 billion, that's around £400 per adult, buying one another gifts, which did lead to the 25th of December briefly measuring as the happiest day of last year. Unfortunately, the levels of happiness measured and reported after both Christmas and New Year's Eve halve roughly every 24 hours, the measurable effect therefore not lasting much longer than our hangovers, our leftovers or our decorations. So, cheer up, because in only 337 days we get to do it all again. By this week, it's not just the positive effect that's no longer discernible, but for many it's the point when the bills start to arrive. By Blue Monday, the credit card bills have landed, but for most their salary check is yet to clear, making this the worst week annually for debt levels, and with that, our relationship stress levels. The week also comes at the central point of the worst weather and the coldest temperatures of the year, and slap bang in the middle of cold and flu season. By this week, most people are fully back to work, school and university, and while many of us are booking and looking forward to our summer holidays, they seem, amidst the winter snow, a long way off. And finally, it's not just the joy of Christmas that fades, but also the optimism of New Year. This is the week in which the highest number of New Year's resolutions are abandoned. Last Sunday, when Keith was standing here, 70% of our resolutions were still intact. But despite all of our best efforts and good intentions, we have now crossed this morning the point where more than half of our resolutions will have failed. By this morning, 60% have been abandoned. Fifteen days after the excitement, opportunity and champagne celebrations of New Year, this week marked for most of us the outer limits of our willpower. And consequently, for many, that's induced feelings of regret and failure. So amidst such volatile emotions and fluctuating fortunes, it's naturally with some scepticism and perhaps a little irony that we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 to 18, Paul's encouragement to be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Yet this is perhaps the ideal week to consider making a new and different kind of resolution, one that does not rest on the strength of my own willpower and seek a more stable and lasting joy that does not depend on my finances or my circumstances. But to avoid Blue Monday, we need more than just a fridge magnet-sized motto or some good intentions. Paul is not naively encouraging us to merely turn our frown upside down, keep calm and carry on, throw an even bigger party or work far harder on our willpower. 
these few verses are too often plucked out of context. And in isolation, they risk, at best, being misleading, and at worst, making us feel even more inadequate. But there is life-changing promise and power in these verses, and a lasting and transformational New Year's resolution for each of us. A resolution that's wholly achievable, whatever my circumstances or my willpower. But for that, we need to start this morning at verse 9. Paul anchors everything he's about to teach into the bedrock upon which ultimately all things must stand. He starts with the gospel. We cannot understand and more importantly be transformed by these verses without first starting with verse 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, he died for us, for me, for you, so that whether we are awake or asleep, alive or dead, we may live together with him. This is the promise and the hope that Paul wants you to stick up on your refrigerator door. The rest of 1 Thessalonians 5 is not an isolated motivational pitch, but a natural reaction and response to this singular truth. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Paul assures each of us of a more full, more complete life, lived in relationship with God. I am assured, you are assured, of life before and life after death. All that follows builds on this truth and rests upon this promise. All that follows is in the light and power of this. But before we rush ahead to verse 16, there's some other stuff which Paul first needs us to understand. In the verses that Alec read to us, Paul outlines how in the light of and in reaction to the gospel, our response, our attitude, our relationships and our responsibilities will be transformed in four different ways to four different people. First, in verses 12 and 13, regarding our attitude toward and our dealing with the leaders of the church, he calls for us to hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Then, between one another, he teaches our reaction to the gospel and responsibility toward each other is to live, verse 13, in peace with each other. And he continues to urge us in verses 14 and 15, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Paul does not say that our minister Keith will be my constant source of joy. But he does say I should love, respect, support and regard him highly for his faithfulness and his calling. Paul does not say my friend Rich or my friend Ray will be my joy. But I am challenged, we are challenged in the light of the gospel to mutual encouragement, peace, patience and forgiveness. Only now do we reach verse 16, where Paul moves on to the third attitude and response to the gospel, this time towards God himself. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Mike encouraged us beautifully at the turn of the year towards living joyfully. And just as our own resolutions and willpower fades, Paul seems to take that to an absurd extreme here. Be joyful always. 
But to understand Paul's teaching, we need to understand that verse 16 is focused on our response to, our attitude towards, and our relationship with God in the light of the gospel. Paul does not instruct me to be joyful without reason, come what may, to just grin manically regardless through thick and thin. Joy cannot be manufactured. Joy cannot be forced. Joy cannot be enforced. Because joy is a response, and therefore joy needs a source. In verse 9, Paul pointed us to the right source, the primary source, the stable source, by reminding us to first seek joy in the continuous blessing of the gospel, and only then, in the light and joy of that, to consider other more temporary circumstances. Blue Monday proves that our joy, when dependent on our transient circumstances, is all too expensive to induce and too fleeting, too fickle. If I'm honest, too often, only when I'm happy in my immediate circumstances do I find the time, the space and the ability to be joyful in or frankly even focused on my relationship with God. To be fully transformed, to live before I die, Paul calls me to reverse that, to always consider first the good news of the gospel, make that my baseline, my consistent hope, my fundamental source, the foundation of my joy, and all other things. And there will be other things, very real, very difficult things, will appear small enough and temporary enough to dent but never to overwhelm my joy. Paul reinforces this by the call to live in a continual attitude of prayer. These three verses are not separate disciplines or discrete challenges, but reinforce and feed back in support of and in response to one another. For the best way to sustain joy is an attitude, Paul says, of constant continuous prayer. Not prayer as a discipline, prayer as an appointment, or prayer only in a desperate crisis, but prayer as a continuous attitude that comes from a close fellowship and intimate living relationship with God throughout the midst of every aspect of my daily life. When my heart is ever turned toward or tuned in to God, prayer is not an activity or a discipline, but an attitude, the one true desire of our heart. And when our hearts desire what God desires, every thought and every action, every moment of every day is a continuous prayer as the Spirit intercedes for us, in us and through us. Joy finds its constant source in God and the gospel. Joy finds its purpose in an intimate, continual relationship with God in prayer. And prayer results in thankfulness, gratitude to God, not necessarily for all things, but in all circumstances. Paul's call to thankfulness is not a polite afterthought, mere good manners. Polite English speakers, I'm told, say thank you around 100 times a day, often out of social conditioning, with little thought, emotion or genuine gratitude. But both joy and thankfulness are deeply rooted in Paul's theology and central to his understanding about God's will and purpose. Paul practices what he teaches, and his letters are full of both rejoicing and giving thanks. To Paul, it's the most natural form of worship, praise, response, and attitude toward God. A God Paul was convinced was forever at work in the lives of his people. Joy and thankfulness for Paul are not human emotions, but active expressions, reactions to God's goodness and greatness. 
a natural uprising of unstoppable praise. But which of these comes first? Which is most important? Where do I start? Because let's be honest, even with good intentions and the inspiration of the gospel, these three verses still seem more than a little aspirational. Always, continually, in all circumstances. Can Paul really be serious? He is, but so far we only have half of verse 18 on the screen. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Paul does not share, verses 16 to 18, that you may have three new burdensome resolutions, lifelong tasks to struggle with, or even abstract aspirations to be intermittently inspired by, but that you might know that... These three things are the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That you understand the deepest desire in Christ's heart is that you personally can know lasting joy in the constant hope of the gospel. Live in the same intimate prayerful relationship with the Father that he lived and overflow with thanksgiving, praise and worship. Paul is not calling you to a greater solo effort but revealing God's blessing and the desire of Christ's heart for you. If we consider all of this an ambition, a to-do list, a dogma, a mantra, an instruction, a recommendation or an obligation, Blue Monday proves that in just a few hours, a few days or maybe weeks if I'm really, really good, the joy will fade and my willpower will fail. If I believe I can and must do everything in my own strength. But this is God's will for us. And because he truly wants me to achieve these things, he does not leave them up to me, for he knows me well. So instead he entrusts entrusts the job to the Holy Spirit. The fourth and final party Paul wants us to consider our response toward and our attitude to. Paul does not want me to struggle. Paul wants me to surrender. And in verse 19, Paul gives me just one simple, direct, unmistakable instruction. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Paul says, God has just one task fit for my unique skills and abilities. One thing he longs for me to do that I might transform my own life in my own strength and by my own general magnificence. Would I kindly get out of the Holy Spirit's way. In other words, let go and let God. Please, in 2018, Paul pleads, keep out of the way of the Holy Spirit and marvel at the work instead that he has planned in you and through you. Stop struggling with your willpower and surrender to the will of God. Before writing this sermon, my New Year's resolution was to be more thankful. But like 30% of the UK population, I quit that this week or at least adjusted it a little to something simpler, more practical, more profound, and I hope more powerful. By accepting Paul's three-for-one offer, and by making my role in that resolution to make sure I simply keep out the Holy Spirit's way, do not put out the Spirit's fire. So don't let tomorrow be another Blue Monday. There are many reasons for happiness, actually, each and every day, but I don't want to seem naive or glib. There are loads of reasons to feel more than a little glum in January. 
and none of us should brush aside or airbrush those things away. Paul does not expect us to ignore our circumstances, but rather to put them into perspective by first making sure we are sourcing our joy in the gospel. Because whatever the day or the month, our circumstances will vary. But that should not shake and cannot subvert the hope and joy secured once and for all by our salvation. Each morning, let us surrender to the Holy Spirit and allow him to fill us with unceasing joy and the constant hope of the gospel. Throughout the day, live in continual relationship and prayerful communication with the Father in an attitude of gratitude at all times for the hope that is ours and the blessings we have received. May joy and gratitude become a habit and fragrance which will infuse all of our interactions and relationships. With my limited willpower, there are resolutions, promises, and goals that I will be unable to keep. Better then, I reckon, to base my 2018 resolution on the stubborn will of Christ and the awesome power of the Holy Spirit. The sermon in a sentence then today, therefore, is this. God does not want me to impress him with what I can do in 2018 when I struggle. He is waiting and longing for me and for you, to allow him to show you what the Holy Spirit can do when you surrender. But don't take my word for it. I'll leave the last word to Paul. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen.